Placemakers is made possible by J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan Chase is committed to expanding access to opportunity for all people and advancing economic growth in all places. Learn more about their global commitment by going to jpmorganchase.com. If you get on the massive six-lane highway heading out of downtown Phoenix, Arizona, you'll drive past something you see in many parts of the state capital, sprawl. Phoenix is among the most sprawling cities in America, thanks to the population boom it's seen since World War II. In 1940, it was home to 65,000 people. Today, it's more like a million and a half. And what was once agricultural land has largely given way to suburban housing developments. But a guy by the name of Joe Johnston... When you drive down the street, either you're attracted to it or you don't like it. He decided to buck that trend by creating a housing development of his own. The people that don't like it would be the people who want large lots. And his development looks nothing like the juggernaut of strip malls, cul-de-sacs, and stucco housing that define the suburban aesthetic. And then we'll go look at the community garden. The community garden is where people are able to do their own gardening in a community setting. We will wander in there. And then when you go down this road, all of the orchards are down that road right there. Folksy and friendly in his wide-brimmed hat, Joe Johnston is a native of Gilbert, this suburb of Phoenix, 20-some miles east of downtown. When we moved here in 67, it was all dirt roads. Uh, the ditches were dirt. And so because dirt ditches are porous, there were a lot of trees all along here, cottonwood trees. There was one neighboring farm. The school I went to, I graduated from a class of eight kids, all from a farming background. There was actually a guy in a covered wagon that would come down from the Superstition Mountains. Yeah, very rustic. But now, Gilbert is the most densely populated incorporated town in the country. Starting around uh, late 90s, it became clear that development was coming our way in terms of uh, subdivisions, growth, freeways, that sort of thing. Typically in our area, people just scrape the land and then just build houses, and that they're done with it, and the whole history goes away. Instead of just selling and going elsewhere, we decided to stay here and create what we thought would be the best stewardship of the farm. And so we decided to convert our family farm into a community. But not just any community, a kind of utopian community, one that revolves around living off the land. I'm Rebecca Sheeran from Slate Magazine. This is Placemakers, stories about the spaces we inhabit and the people who shape them. Today, how do you solve a problem like the suburbs? For Joe Johnston, it means creating your own utopia. And for a fellow we'll meet a little later in the show... 80% of everything ever built in America has been built in the last 50 years. And most of it is depressing, brutal, ugly, unhealthy, and spiritually degrading. It means completely rethinking the idea of urban development. We'll talk with James Howard Kunstler, who's been called the world's most outspoken critic of suburban sprawl, about how we can save this country from, as he puts it, the greatest misallocation of resources in the history of the world. But first, back to Gilbert, Arizona, and Joe Johnston's attempt to turn suburbia on its head. I thought, okay... Well, we're going to try to preserve urban agriculture. We want to create a good community. A kind of utopia, if you will. So when it came time to name the place, he took the agricultural element. Agra. And the utopian aspect. Topia. And boom, Agritopia was born. 
Joe started building Agritopia in 2001, and in some respects it looks like any other subdivision, row after row of houses, a school. But then you'll see stuff that doesn't necessarily scream suburbia, like clusters of mailboxes to encourage interaction, shallow front yards so you can greet your neighbors on their wide front porch as you stroll by, pedestrian pathways everywhere making it easier to take that stroll. Then you have something else decidedly unsuburban. Here we've got uh, Brussels sprouts here. Artichokes there. Um, you can see tomato crops. Garden plots that you can rent on the farm, which sits at the development center. Towards that big net, you can see date palms down there. Residents of Agritopia raise more than 100 varieties of fruits and vegetables, many of which are sold to local restaurants. All these are public access pathways with grapes. Joe Johnson says the next step is to build something right next to Agritopia's farm a downtown. And where his family's barn used to be, he's creating a retail area called Bar Nun. The project that's being right, built right now is Bar Nun, which would be a brewery, a winery, a salon, a florist, a woodworking shop, and letterpress uh, paper in design. Then there are three-story apartments in the works, replete with connecting sky bridges. It's a big change for Agritopia and its residents people who were attracted to the idea of living in a quiet farming community. So you probably won't be surprised to hear that when they held meetings about Joe's plans, he got some pushback. Uh, You know, like, uh, you're just in it for the money, Um, you're ruining the neighborhood, this isn't what Agritopia is supposed to be, that kind of stuff, you know. But Joe actually seems fine with the conflict his changes have inspired. If you're not doing something weird and that some people don't like, you're probably not pushing the boundaries far enough. In the end, he says, just like his family farm had to change, Agritopia has to change, too. Some people will drive down the streets and say, well, you know, it's like Disneyland, and this place has a certain order to it, but it's not a sanitized village. You still have divorce. There's suicide. There's all that stuff. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to create a beautiful environment. It just means this is the thing we took, and if you like it, fine. If you don't, you don't have to live here either. Agrotopia is actually part of a growing movement of so-called agrohoods. The Urban Land Institute estimates you can find about 200 of them across the country. And part of Joe's inspiration for creating his own agrohood came from... The immersive ugliness of our everyday environments in America is uh, entropy made visible. This guy. Uh, Mostly I want to persuade you that we have to do better if we're going to continue the project of civilization in America. His name is James Howard Kunstler. Here he is giving his 2004 TED Talk called The Ghastly Tragedy of the Suburbs. There are a lot of ways you can describe this. You know, uh, uh, I like to call it the national automobile slum. You can call it suburban sprawl. Uh, I think it's appropriate to call it the greatest misallocation of resources in the history of the world. You can call it a... Uh, technosis externality cluster f- <laughs> uh, and it's a tremendous problem for us. Kunstler is a novelist and playwright and journalist and has written numerous nonfiction books railing against suburban sprawl and its car-first model of development. Books like The Geography of Nowhere, The Rise and Decline of America's Man-Made Landscape, and Home from Nowhere, Remaking Our Everyday World. It was this last one that particularly inspired Joe Johnston to build Agritopia out in Gilbert, Arizona. So when I reached out to James Howard Kunstler for an interview not too long ago, I asked him what he thought of Joe Johnston's endeavor. 
Well, uh, it sound it, it's it looks like uh, he did a pretty good job of uh, creating a new urbanist community. Uh, I, I've been associated with the new urbanist movement since its founding in 1993, and it was an attempt to reform the ways that we develop property in America, and, and to do it along the lines of more traditional towns and, and cities and neighborhoods. And uh, uh, my only uh, problem with it was that it seemed like a good project in the wrong place. You know, uh, Phoenix is about the last place in America that I think uh, has, a, has much of a future. Why do you say that? Well, because facing the resource and capital scarcity problems as we do, um, Phoenix is a, a very um, unpropitious place to add more urban stuff to. Um, you know, it's a, it's a city that is going to really have to contract a lot, and I'm not even sure it's going to be there in, in 50 years. It has uh, uh, water problems. Uh, it's not really a very good place for growing things without irrigation. And um, I have my doubts that uh, it's going to work out. You know, it's also a place where if everybody doesn't have air conditioning, the, the society there doesn't really work. So I guess that's my complaint about the, the project. Are you aware of any other developments inspired by your ideas? Or have, have developers and architects approached you seeking your advice about projects? Well, not my ideas per se. I, you know, I really uh, was a commentator on the scene when the new urbanist movement came along, you know, they were the people who really generated not just the ideas, but they dove into the dumpster of history and they got back a lot of principle and methodology and skill for urban design that we had thrown in the garbage over the last, uh, you know, half century in our effort to turn America into a drive-in utopia. And, uh, you know, they did all the hard work. They, uh, figured out the ways to return to traditional town design, and uh, they did a great job. There are a lot of projects that have been done by them around the country. Some of them are better than others. Many of them ran into problems with the permitting process where, uh, you know, they had good ideas that were defeated by foolish municipal officials. You know, uh, for example... Many of these projects included town centers that would allow people to live close to some kind of a store or, you know, a few retail things. And um, those were frequently shot down by the local municipal planners who, you know, uh, refused to change the zoning to allow it. So the new urbanists operated under a considerable burden of entrenched stupidity in the American planning system, you know, which includes a vast set of laws and regulations and zoning codes that have taken more than a half a century to put together and which, you know, now burden us terribly. There are several projects uh, that are similar to this one uh, in the sense that they're, they were based around uh, the idea of agriculture. And one of them is a project called Serenby, in Georgia, and that was designed by the leading uh, architectural town planning firm of the new urbanism, Andres Duani and Elizabeth Platter-Zyberg, otherwise known as DPZ. And uh, 
Uh, as Andres uh, quipped a few years ago, farming is the new golf. Uh, and that tells you a little bit about what the demographic is that has uh, been most involved in this. After the break, we'll continue our conversation with James Howard Kunstler and hear what today's buildings have in common with video recorders, how the great American tragedy is all about boxes inside parking lots, and why solutions aren't necessarily the answer to this whole mess. Hey, I'm Brian Babylon. Placemakers is made possible by J.P. Morgan Chase. Economic recovery is no easy task. In many cities, incomes are shrinking and families and communities are struggling. J.P. Morgan Chase is committed to helping solve the problem. J.P. Morgan Chase is deploying $1 billion towards programs focused on expanding access to opportunity and advancing economic growth around the world. Chuck Weinstock, VP of Community Development Banking at J.P. Morgan Chase in Seattle, talks about how the redevelopment of an historic housing project called Yesler Terrace has been a perfect match for the company's initiatives. Yesler Terrace reflects the ways in which we are involved in the market and the kinds of initiatives that we like to support. The broad participation of multi-elements of the community, having a strong, reliable lead organization, having projects which have high impact to low-income residents, as well as those that expand the job base and support small business. Conceptually, it's just a remarkable match for what we try to do. J.P. Morgan Chase is focused on helping all communities. Learn more by going to jpmorganchase.com. From Slate Magazine, it's Placemakers. I'm Rebecca Shear. We started today's show in Gilbert, Arizona, where a guy by the name of Joe Johnston wanted to build a different kind of housing development, one focused on living together and living off the land. And so about 15 years ago, he created Agritopia. Joe took a lot of inspiration from James Howard Kunstler, a writer known for his scathing condemnation of our car-crazed culture and the suburbs to which it's given birth. Something else that makes Kunstler crazy? Zoning or at least the way we've been handling zoning for the past 70-some years. Here he is talking about it on his weekly podcast, which he calls KunstlerCast. And it's after World War II that we really start to get going on the refinements of zoning, and we start to enter this really territory of the absurd. And among the things that we do is that we decide that shopping is now classified as an obnoxious industrial activity that nobody should be allowed to live anywhere near, Right. Now, I live in Washington, D.C., and in my neighborhood, it's easy enough to walk out my door and do a little shopping. More often than not, there are apartments right upstairs from that store, housing other people who can pop out their door and do exactly what I'm doing. And as a longtime city dweller, I couldn't imagine it any other way. But, says James Howard Kunstler, that's not how officials following the old-school zoning codes see it. The laws and codes that have already been set up uh, create such immense obstacles to living that way, and they they just go by the codes. You know, they just sort of blindly follow the codes that have been put into place before them, and uh, now they're there and they have to follow them. For example, 
in much of America, if you want to open a retail store somewhere, you have to supply X number of parking spaces, right? And if that's the case, then just about every retail establishment is going to be some kind of a box in the middle of a parking lot. And if you have a whole town or city composed of boxes and parking lots, you're not going to have really much of a walkable town. And that's, that's sort of the essence of the predicament. You know, we're blindly following these old uh, codes, and it's very difficult to reform them. Well, something you often talk about is the importance of having places worth caring about. So what does a place need to have in order to make it worth caring about? Well, I think mostly what it needs is the human scale. It needs to be a place that human bodies can move around in and uh, function in well according to what their neurology requires. And the trouble with the scale of suburbia, and indeed with the scale of many of our uh, contemporary cities, is that they impose a kind of a tyrannical and despotic scale on the human psyche, which is uh, terribly punishing and makes it hard to function, doesn't give us any psychological rewards, for being there, and uh, history is going to is going to see that uh, it, it was a tremendous error to decide to live that way. You know, I have a new theory of history, which is that things happen because they seem like a good idea at the time, and suburbia seemed like a good idea at the time, but it was a special time and place in history with special dynamics. And now we're going to have to live with the consequences of that. And the consequences will be tragic. Well, if we want to build more places that are worth caring about, what does that involve? What does that look like in the design? Building places that are worth living in and worth caring about require a certain attention to detail and of a particular kind of detail that we have forgotten how to design and assemble. And that involves the relationship of the buildings to each other, the relationship of the buildings to the public space, which in America comes mostly in the form of the street, because it's only the exceptional places in America that have the village square or the New England green, you know. The street is mostly the public realm of America. And you know, we have to design these things so that they uh, reward us. And the, uh, for example, many streets in American cities have been turned into mini freeways by making them one-way streets and not allowing parallel parking on the curb. And that allows the cars to go much faster than they would ordinarily. I mean, that's the whole point of turning them into one-way streets, is to maximize the traffic flow. Well, in fact, the faster that every car goes on a street in downtown Minneapolis, the more unpleasant that street is going to be, and the more, over time, the buildings are going to turn their backs to that street, and people are going to shun the, those streets, and they won't walk on them. So, uh, you know, these are, these are the kinds of things that we've been doing for decades. Uh, in our cities, we put up these modernist uh, office towers with blank walls on the ground floor that offer nothing for the passing pedestrian, that offer nothing either economically, 
in terms of, you know, a commercial relationship between the people on the street and the building, and, and offer nothing even in, the ter- in terms of ornament or, or something that would please the eye. In fact, all they do is sort of despotically tower over people and make them feel bad. So, uh, you know, there are any number of design things and details that we could attend to that we just don't because we have forgotten how to do these things. Well, while we're talking about buildings, you gave a TED Talk and you mentioned this civic building close to where you live in New York State. It's boxy. It's nondescript. I'm not even sure it has any windows. Um, You were talking about the design firms who take on projects like this building and these last minute meetings they have to nail things out. And you said... This is what, what they're thinking. Eight hours before deadline, four architects trying to get this building in on time, right? And they're sitting there at the long boardroom table with all the, the drawings and the renderings and all the Chinese food caskets are lying on the table. And I mean, what was the conversation that was going on there? <laughs> because you know what the last word was, what the last sentence was of that meeting. It was, F- it. <laughs> Do you really think developers just don't care or do they know what they're doing and they just want to maximize profits? Oh, I think that there's no question that they want to maximize profit. And frankly, you can't blame people for doing that. But uh, developers maximize profits uh, in different eras of our history and they manage to do it by putting up beautiful buildings. Now, because we've, we've been under the sway of about 90 years of uh, dogmatic modernism, uh, you know, it's no longer uh, acceptable to ornament a building, and we have lost the skills necessary to do it. So we're basically just putting up uh, buildings with blank walls that look like uh, uh, video recorders. You know, they have a hole uh, with a door that looks like the place that the input jack goes, and then they have a place, you know, uh, where the loading dock is. It looks like where the uh, the cord for the uh, speakers comes out, and they don't give a f- about the rest of the building. And that's how we roll. We're living in a culture that doesn't believe in decorating buildings or proportioning them in, in, you know, properly, and, and they don't know how to do it anymore because they haven't been doing it for you know uh, the better part of a century. I was reading an interview you did with Rolling Stone. Um, you used to write for Rolling Stone, actually. And the writer asked you, do you have a solution to our troubles? And... You said, you know, solutions aren't what you like talking about. What should we be talking about if not solutions? What I also said was um, I urge people not to think in terms of, quote, solutions, but in terms of intelligent responses to the quandaries and predicaments that we face. And there are uh, intelligent responses that, that we can bring forth But when I hear the word solution, I always suspect that there's a hidden agenda there. And the hidden agenda is, please, can you please tell us how we can keep on living exactly the way we're living now without having to really change our behavior very much? And uh, that's sort of what's going on in this country. And uh, it's not going to work. You know, we're going to have to change our behavior quite a bit. And really, the, the general intelligent response to all this is that we're going to have to downscale our activities and make them more local. And I think you can state categorically that most of the things that are now running at the giant scale are going to fail. They're going to enter a, you know, a zone of failure and they're going to wobble and they're going to be in, uh, they're going to, they're going to go, you know, whether it's mass motoring 
or Walmart shopping. But whatever happens, like you say in your TED Talk, the age of the 3,000-mile Caesar salad is coming to an end. Yeah, I would say so. And and it should be self-evident, but... You know, there are a lot of things that are obviously happening in our culture right now that we're just unable to pay attention to for one reason or another. Toward the end of my conversation with James Howard Kunstler, after all this biting talk about how grim the future is, and really the present too, I asked him one last question. And I got quite the fired up response. Can you give us some hope here? (laughs) My job is not to be America's therapist. You know, and and I think that uh, Americans are making a mistake to think that commentators like me should be therapists trying to make them feel better. It's not about making you feel better. It's about facing the facts of how we live in this country and, and what the conditions of life are and what the circumstances that are coming down on us represent. You know, life is tragic. And if societies make poor decisions and make stupid decisions, you know, they're going to face that old banquet of consequences. And that's where we're at. So don't expect people like me to be your therapist. The thing is, I don't expect people like James Howard Kunstler to be America's therapist. I've been reading commentary about Kunstler's commentary where people compare him to more of like a town crier or a kind of Cassandra figure. But Kunstler's book, The Geography of Nowhere, the one that inspired Joe Johnston out in Gilbert, Arizona to create Agrotopia, it doesn't just prophesize gloom and doom and rant about the issues surrounding suburbia. It talks about how we can remedy these issues, like cutting down on commuting by car, taking steps to preserve our disappearing countryside, and yes, designing places that are worth caring about. One more thing we can do is something Kunstler mentioned at the end of his TED Talk back in 2004. And really, it's quite simple. Please, please stop referring to yourselves as consumers, okay? Consumers are different than citizens. Consumers do not have obligations, responsibilities, and duties to their fellow human beings. And as long as you're using that word consumer in the public discussion, you will be degrading the quality of the the discussion we're having. And we're going to continue being clueless going into this very difficult future that we face. So thank you very much. Please go out and do what you can to make this a land uh, full of places that are worth caring about uh, and and a nation that will be worth defending. Placemakers is a production of Slate Magazine and is produced by Mia Lobel, Diana Douglas, and Michael Volo, and edited by Julia Barton. Our researcher is Matthew Schwartz. Eric Shimalonis does our mixing and musical scoring. Our theme was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is our executive producer. I'm Rebecca Shear. Special thanks this week to Tarek Fuda for his reporting on Agritopia. For more information about today's show and other episodes of Placemakers, go to slate.com slash placemakers. You can drop us a line at placemakers at slate.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Slate Placemaker. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a review or rating on iTunes. It really does help. Coming up next time on Placemakers... Social scientists say people in the United States are sorting themselves by political affiliation. Democrats on the coasts, Republicans in the southern and middle states. Now, followers of a third party say they want a home of their own, too. This is a great day in the history of human freedom. It sounds grandiose, but I really believe it's true. We are firing the starting gun on a mass migration of freedom lovers to New Hampshire. 
how libertarians are taking the Granite State's motto, live free or die, to a whole new level. Well, James Howard Kunstler, it has been a pleasure. Well, Rebecca, it's been a pleasure at my <laughs> end. I'm sorry, I forgive me for my verbal tics. Oh, no, no, no. I, I've been watching videos and listening to your podcast, so I, I knew what I was getting into. Okay. Hey, guys. Yep, I'm still here. Those of you still around, I want to ask you a small favor. Here at Placemakers, we want to learn more about you, our listeners, and your opinions. We know you guys have strong opinions, so we created a quick survey that we'd love for you to take. If you fill it out, you'll automatically be entered for a chance to win a $150 Amazon gift card. And you'll be helping us continue to create content that makes your ears and your brain happy. To fill out the survey, go to slate.com slash survey2. That's slate.com slash survey2. Thank you.